Good morning, Crosstown. Let's do this again. Good morning. Uh, I want to welcome all of our other locations as well as our online viewers. We're glad that you guys are with us for part two of the series that we started last week, as you see behind me, called Seven Great Ways to Ruin Your Life. So if you came to church hoping to ruin your life, we can help you with that, okay? Or maybe help you avoid uh, how to ruin your life. And today we're going to talk about envy or the desire to have what someone else has. Um, for me in my life, I don't know if this is true for you, but I'm, a, I'm pretty content. I really am. Until I see what someone else has. Anybody relate? Show of hands at all of our locations. Yeah. We're content, but they're like, oh, what's that? We want what they have, and it's over there, and it's like we're, we're all over the place. Um, when it comes to our, our homes, I've been pretty content. I can't speak for my wife, but I've been pretty content with the homes that we've uh, lived in until I see your home, right? If I've been at your home. And it's not that I, you know, I've struggled with jealousy that your home is nicer. That's not my problem. It's that it's cleaner. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I've got four boys. Our house is never clean, never clean. And God bless my wife. She tries, but it's four versus one. Or actually, I should say five versus one because let's be honest, I'm part of the problem too. And we have a dog that's a male as well. So she's totally out. And so we, we struggle with this. Uh, we struggle with envy, seeing what someone else has and desiring that for ourselves. Uh, hopefully, if my boys are listening, two of them are in here, they'll pay attention to week five of the sermon series, which is sloth. That'll help the Gorham boys out. But it's not just houses that we struggle with envy over. It's, um, it's other, when we look at other people's talents and abilities. You ever do that? A uh, little, little confession time for the pastor. I get a little bit envious and jealous of pastors who can not only preach, but who can stand up here and play guitar and sing. Pastor Levi, just saying. Pastor Tim, right? I get a little jealous because I, wouldn't it be cool to like break out in a song during the middle of a sermon, grab your guitar and say, I got a song for this point right here. I can't do that. And unfortunately, I can't play the guitar like Pastor Tim or Pastor Levi, and I certainly can't hold a tune like Pastor Stu. They're all laughing because Stu can't sing whatsoever. Didn't someone preach about sarcasm last week? Yeah. Oh. It's, not, it's not sarcasm and it's not pride because I can't hold a tune and Stu can't hold a tune. We're in the same boat there, okay? But envy is a, is a problem. Uh, I have another confession to make. Frankly, I'm bothered by some of your Facebook posts, the ones that I'm friends with on Facebook because the places that you go, the, the food that you eat, and your kids, your kids. Let me explain. Am I the only one in here that has ever wanted to trade kids? <laughs> let, me, let me continue. After I see how well, seemingly well-behaved and cooperative your kids were during your family pictures. Am I the only one? Or does anyone else want to trade? I, at best, we get 50% 50% participation in our home. That's it. That's the best you're going to get for a family picture. Social media has amplified the effect of envy as well. Um, last Sunday, 
friends of ours, we can put this picture up on the screen, went to uh, the Bills game. Their kids went to the Bills game, and so they posted this picture of them at the Bills game, and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I would have loved to have been at the Bills game. Wouldn't you have loved to have been at the Bills game? I know it didn't work out the way you had hoped it worked out. If you're a Bills fan, if you're a Steeler fan, you feel different. You should just be quiet today during church. But I was like, oh, that's so cool. And then without even thinking, Without even realizing what I was going to preach on the next Sunday, which is today, this is what I commented. Next picture, hashtag jealous. I'm like, shoot, shoot. It's easy to get tripped up when it comes to envy, but have you ever considered, I know that's a lighthearted example, but have you ever considered the damage that envy could be doing to your life? Have you ever really considered how envy could be ruining your life. And chances are, if you're like most people in the room, probably not. And the reason why is because all the, the, the lists of sins that we're looking at in this series, like envy, it has become so normative in our culture. We don't even think about it. It's just normal. And not only is envy normal, it's, it's essential. It's essential. Our economy is built on envy. Entire media campaigns, advertising campaigns are designed to capitalize on your itch for envy. That's how it works. But is it doing some damage to our, our souls? So what I want to do today is look uh, closer at sin of envy, how it works, the destruction that it can have in our life, and how we can overcome it in our life. And so let's define envy uh, quickly. This is what we did, looked at last week, if you can put it on the screen. Envy is the desire for someone else's skills, status, or situation. That's what envy is. But I think if you took a little bit closer look at envy, maybe popped the hood and looked under the, the hood of the vehicle called envy, you would see that there's a deeper problem when it comes to envy. Because envy acts as a warning light, so to speak. It's a warning sign that is meant to get you to look a little bit closer to the problem. Uh, for example, it's kind of like a check engine light. If you ever see one of these pop up in your vehicle, don't you want to ignore that and just pretend that the world is all good? That's how I like to, to, to uh, relate to these check engine lights. But they're there for a purpose to indicate that there's a, a bigger problem. So for like three weeks, maybe three months, who's, who's counting? But uh, for like a while, this check engine light was mocking me, telling me that there was a problem with the vehicle. And so if you know me, some of you don't, but you'll get to know me a little bit better here in Greece. I don't, know, I don't know anything about cars. All I know is the minivan runs, and it gets me from point A to point B, we're all set. But that light is there for a reason, isn't it? And I would ignore it. I would happily ignore it if it weren't for our inspection coming up at the end of the, the month. So I had to figure out what this light meant. Well, I can look at this light as long as I want to, and I can stick my head under the hood and pretend that I know what parts are. But unless a little monkey pops out and tells me what the problem is, I need a little bit more information than you should check your engine. And so uh, friends of mine told me that uh, AutoZone has this free diagnostic tool that you can go, I didn't know this, but you can go to AutoZone and they'll give you a scanner, you can plug it into your car, and then they'll bring it into the shop, and then they'll print out what the, the problem is and a potential fix. It's, it's a good way to sell products there. And so I did that, and, and I began to learn more about what the, the problem was. Spiritually speaking, envy serves in that capacity. While we're tempted to ignore the light, God says, don't, because it's pointing you to a deeper 
problem. And what God wants us to do when we see that sign of envy is get into his shop, plug in his diagnostic tool, which is the Bible, and get a printout. And if you did, here's what the printout would read. The presence of envy indicates an absence of a healthy relationship with God. Or, if we put it this way, envy is always present when a healthy relationship with God is absent. Remember that. Without God being all satisfying in your life, there's a few things that are going to happen. You're either going to be resentful towards someone else and the good that they have in life, or you're going to be discontent toward the life that God gave you, or perhaps worse, perhaps you'll grow to distrust the Lord in your life. God doesn't want that, so if you don't want envy to ruin your life, what are we to do? Well, there's a story in, uh, in the, the gospel, the gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. I'm not going to read all 16 verses. I want to summarize it, but I think by looking at this story and some of the other scriptures that God talks about in his word, we're going to find some key principles to help us overcome envy. So let me summarize this story from Matthew 20. You don't need that up on the screen there yet, guys. The way this story works is there's this landowner who has a lot of work to do in his vineyard, so he goes to hire some workers. Bright and early, 6 a.m., the guys show up and they start working. And the landowner makes a deal with these workers that they'll work for him for one day's wage, which was called a denarius. That would be like minimum wage today. So they agree to work for one denarius for an entire day, 6 a.m. to about 6 p.m. Well, there's a lot of work to do. And so he's out and about in the marketplace, and he sees some other people there just sitting idly by. And so he goes over to them and says, why don't you come and work for me as well? And I quote, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So he doesn't make a deal with them that they're going to get a denarius. He just says, whatever is right, even though you started later than the first crew, I will make it right. And he does this three times over. So there's a group that started at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m. And then the last group that he hires, he hired at 5 p.m., which is about one hour left in the workday. And he makes the same deal with all those other groups. Whatever is right, I will pay to you. We'll make it up when the day comes due and we give you your wages. So that time comes and he tells his foreman, pay the workers. The first group that got paid was the, the group that was most recently hired, the group that had only worked one hour. And to the worker's surprise, guess what they got? An entire day's wage, one denarius. So everybody else is looking on, the people that worked at 3 and noon, since, since 6 a.m., especially those guys that have been in the blistering sun all day, and they're like, oh, wow, if they're getting paid a denarius, we're going to make bank. Let's go. Pay up time, right? Except what did they get? They all got a denarius. They're not very pleased with this. But here's what I want you to notice, the landowner's response, if you could put the scripture up on the screen. Verse 13. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Which, yes or no, did he agree? Yeah. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? That's a great question, by the way, when it comes to envy. Is God not allowed to choose to give to some and to give to others what he wants to do? It's, it's all his. 
But here's a better question. Or do you begrudge my generosity? I highlighted that because I think that's essential to thinking about envy. It's the core of what envy is all about. Envy is essentially begrudging God's generosity, either towards someone else or an underappreciation for what God has done to you. Have you ever considered thinking about envy in that way? I want you to jot this down. You'll see this on the screen. Envy makes me resentful of God's goodness in someone else's life and blind to God's goodness in my own life. So from this passage, I want to give you three ways that I think envy can ruin our lives and then the corresponding way that God wants us to pursue to help us overcome envy. And so here's the first way that envy can literally ruin your life, and that's this. Envy can rob me and rob you of joy and peace. Envy can rob us of joy and peace. Uh, As I said, all the workers agreed to the compensation plan when they were hired. At the moment they were hired, they agreed, okay, whatever you want to pay me, that's fine. Denarius, that's fine. Whatever you want to pay me. They all agreed, and they all, before they got paid, felt they were treated fairly. Everyone, before they got paid, were happy with whatever was going to come until they saw what someone else was given. And when they saw what someone else was given, no longer were they happy Matthew chapter 20, verse 10 through 11 says, Now when, the house hired, uh, when those hired first came, they thought they, were, they would receive more, but each of them also received the denarius. And look what their reaction was. And I'm receiving it. They grumbled. And they complained. And they were emptied of gratitude. And as a result, they were robbed of joy. Now keep in mind, the whole reason we're taking seven weeks to talk about these seven deadly sins is because if they're pursued in your life, they will cost you and keep you from joy, happiness, and satisfaction in God. And God doesn't want that. Here's what God wants. He wants you to see that everything that you have is a result of his generosity. Do you view what you have as generosity from God toward you? Uh, Could I suggest the reason why some of you are so miserable is because Rather than being content with God's generosity toward you, you're so consumed about what God has done for other people. Rather than being satisfied with what God has given you, you're trying to find your satisfaction in what God has given someone else, something that you don't even have. I love what John Piper says. He says, envy is born out of a restless heart that does not find God satisfying. Think about that. Now, it's interesting in Matthew um, 20, verse 13, I want you to notice this phrase. It says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me? Did you not agree with me for denarius? Ultimately, you know what envy is? It's not agreeing with God. It's saying, God, you got it all wrong. Like, I think you mixed things up here. That should have been me. I should have been the one that's blessed. They don't deserve what they got. I deserve what they got. You you should switch that. It's not agreeing with God. Do you realize that if we we all got what we deserved, you know what we'd get? It's worse than nothing. It's hell. The wages of sin is death. 
The process of sin is separation from God. Friends, you, you don't want what you deserve because it's not good. So even though we can all agree that this world is far from perfect, it's so much better than what we actually deserve. So bottom line is, let's be thankful for what we have rather than being envious towards other people and what they have. Um, Solomon, wisest man who ever existed according to the Bible. He's King David's son. And this is what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4. He says, then I saw that all toil and all skill. He's kind of looking, he's looking around. He's like, how does this world work? And he comes to this conclusion. He says, I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also, and this is the outcome, is vanity. And this is how he describes it. A striving after wind. That's the ESV translation. The NIV translation says a chasing after the wind. You've probably heard that phrase before. I love that word picture because it makes sense to me. Envy makes about as much sense as someone literally chasing after wind. You say, well, that doesn't make much sense. Right. It'd be like watching someone out your, outside your front window in your lawn, right? Just right out in the front, just chasing things with their hands out. And you're like, man, I wonder if they're trying to catch a butterfly or something. So you go out and ask, where's the butterflies? Oh, there's no butterflies. I'm just trying to catch wind. How's that working for you? Not good. Exactly. That's what envy is. It's this endless pursuit that leads to nothing, leads nowhere, and ultimately it just leaves you miserable. There's no happiness, there's no joy, there's no contentment. And it's a really frustrating endeavor because there's no finish line. You're never, ever satisfied with what you have. Um, what's interesting, when you look at the, the seven sins that we're going to look at in this series, six out of the seven sins tempt you with a little bit of short-term pleasure. So you think about pride, making a name for yourself, feel good about yourself. Um, you think about lust, there's short-term pleasure in that. Anger, at least you feel good, you know, expressing it. Then you feel remorseful, but there's a little bit of, you feel good about it at the beginning. Envy's the only one of those sins, though, that from start to finish is a miserable experience. It never gives you what you want. I've heard it said before that envy is like self-abuse. It's like self-abuse. The other deadly sins, while destructive, at least have some sort of gratification in them. But envy, on the other hand, has no gratification because in the end, you never possess what you seek to enjoy. It's literally like chasing after wind. One author I read said this. He said, it, it, it has the ugliness of a trapped rat that has gnawed its own feet in its efforts to escape. How's that for a word picture there? Ever feel like a trapped rat gnawing at your own feet? Could be that you have some envy in your life. You're struggling with it. And if you do, it will literally rob you of your joy. So what's the solution? Keep reading in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Verse 6, Solomon says, Better is a, a handful of quietness, or another translation says a handful of tranquility or, or peace, than two handfuls of toil and striving after wind. Here's what Solomon's saying. It's better to have peace, it's better to have quietness in your life than to, to gain the whole world. 
It's better to have a little bit of peace and a lot of less of everything else. Okay? It's better to have peace in your life and less in your life when it comes to what the world has to offer. So the solution to us being robbed of our joy and peace is, is this. It's, it's contentment. By the way, um, Solomon is the same guy who wrote this in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. He says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. It's good word pictures today, right? Rotting bones, gnawing rats. That's what envy does. You don't want that. What you want and what God would suggest is a, a restful heart, a peaceful heart, a content heart in Christ where you're not striving after everything the world seeks valuable, but you're striving after what God sees valuable. And you're making him your full pursuit in life. The second way that envy can ruin our life is, is this. Um, it, envy causes conflict with others. You know that, right? Envy causes conflict with others. Now, while there's not a clear indication amongst the workers that there was conflict before they got paid, there's certainly a clear indication that there was envy and, and uh, jealousy and resentment after the workers got paid. So what changed between before and after the payday? Envy. The only difference in there was something changed in that they were looking at what the other person had, and because of that, it created conflict. And conflict comes in all different forms in our life. It comes in the form of jealousy. It comes in the form of anger, fights, being selfish, or worse. James chapter 4 says this, you desire and do not have, so here's what you do. You murder. You're envious, so people murder. Is that not true in our society? Yep. Or you covet. What's coveting? It's envy. By the way, if you don't think envy is that big of a deal, it's only... It's, it's one of the only ones that we're talking about in this series that made it into God's top ten. It's a big deal. So you covet and cannot obtain, so here's what you do. You fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, and here's why. Because you ask wrongly, and here's what's wrong with it. You seek to spend it on your own passions. Selfishness. And here's what Paul said in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days, how? In malice and envy. Here's the result. Hated by others and hating one another. So that's what envy does in our life. People murder. People get in fights. There's rage because of Envy, there's relational conflict because of envy because we're always looking out for number one, our own good, our own self-seeking ways. It creates envy, envy, envy. It's everywhere. In fact, if you just kind of do a quick study through the Bible, if you know some of the Bible, you see envy all over the place. If you look at the major sins of the Bible, there's one common denominator, and that's envy. You think about Cain killing his brother Abel. Why? Envy. Or how about Jacob tricking Esau? Remember this story? Jacob tricks Esau out of his birthright and his inheritance. Why did he do that? Envy. Envy. Or how about Joseph? Remember Joseph and his brothers? Joseph tells his brothers, which is never a good idea, how he has this dream and they're going to bow down and worship him and it's going to be great. And so they have this idea, let's throw him into a pit, sell him into slavery, right? Why did they do that? Envy. Envy. Or how about the story of uh, King Saul and King David? 
Before David became king, King Saul was all that, and he thought of himself as all that, and he was jealous when another person started to tread on his territory. Well, David's story is he kills the giant, right? And then he goes on to kill thousands, tens of thousands of Philistines. And so they make a song out of this in the Bible. And the song goes, Saul kills his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So one day when Saul had David alone in the room and David's playing his harp trying to soothe Saul to go to sleep, Saul gets angry, something comes over him, and he throws a spear at the wall, almost hitting and killing David. Why? Envy. And that's, not, that's the Old Testament. You go to the New Testament and you think the disciples would have it all together and you see they're envious of each other. Who gets to sit by Jesus? Who's Jesus' favorite, you know? And then it's even worse than that. You see it in Jesus. Not in Jesus, but the people who did what they did to Jesus. The religious leaders. This is what Matthew 27 says. Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus? They could release one or the other, Barabbas or Jesus. Verse 18, for he knew, Pilate knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want to be eaten alive by the very thing that crucified the Son of God. Especially when it's going to kill our closest relationships. And so if you don't want envy to create conflict and kill those relationships in your life, what's the solution? And the solution, I think, is kindness. It's, it's learning to see the good in other people. It's learning to celebrate when they succeed rather than cheer when they fail. And you want to know how ugly envy is in each and every one of us? And I, I could say it confidently. Every single one of us in all of our campuses have probably done this at least once in their life. I know I have. When you don't like someone, have you ever celebrated when they stumbled? On our ugliest days, that's us. That's how ugly envy is. And there's something in us that, that desires that. We want what they have or we want them to stumble so that they don't get what we have. And it's, it's not good. And so... It creates this conflict, and, um, and we need to do the opposite. We need to learn to kill people with kindness. So when you're tempted to pick up your spear and throw it across the room at someone's head, metaphorically speaking, hopefully, you do the opposite. You kill them with kindness. You look for the good in other people. Um, it's interesting that listed in, if you go to Galatians 5, you can do this on your own, but listed in the works of the flesh that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5, one of the sins is envy, and you know what comes right after the list of the works of the flesh? The fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's right there, Galatians 5, uh, I think it was like 16 through 26. So the list of envy, and then he lists the fruit of the Spirit, one of which being what? You guessed it, Kindness. So over and over again, we read that kindness is the key to overcoming envy when it comes to creating conflict with other people. And here's a third way I think that envy can ruin our life, and that is it keeps me from running the race that God has assigned to me. So not only, is that, not only do we have a race that we've been assigned, but we have a specific lane that God has given us to run in. There's one race to become more like Jesus and to seek his kingdom, to get to heaven, right, to be with him. There's one race, but we all have a lane that we're, we've been given. We all have passions and gifts 
and talents and experiences and things that we've walked through with pain and suffering. That's our lane. Those are gifts and God's generosity that he wants us to steward so that we can run our race well. If you remember from last week, our, our theme verse for this series that hopefully you're, you're thinking about and memorizing is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, where the writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, the sins that we're talking about, which cling so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the whole Christian life is about taking off the old, putting on the new, uh, removing yourself and stripping yourself away from sin and putting on the righteousness of God so that you can win your race. If, if you ever seen one of those track and field races, you guys watched the Olympics this past summer. The two events that I love watching in the Olympics are the sprints, 100-meter sprint, for example, or the, the, the swimming sprints. You know what's the common denominator of those two races? Lanes. Everyone has their lane. So think about that. These Olympic professional sprinters. What good would it do if the whole time they're running, they're going like this? Right? When you run an Olympic race and you're trying to reach that prize, you have one focus and one goal, and it's what's ahead, and you're concerned about who's in your lane, which is you. It would do you no good to look over here. It would only slow you down. And to to do that would not only slow you down, but to step in their lane would get you disqualified. God doesn't want that for our life. He doesn't want that for you. And so what's the solution? The solution is know your lane. Have you ever considered, if you're a believer, that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and he has given you a spiritual gift to steward? Some of you have not. And if statistics are true, you come to church and the majority of people that attend churches, not just our church, hopefully it's not our church, but the majority of people that attend churches come in, sit, and leave without ever contributing something to the body of Christ. That's a waste of a gift. It's like you didn't even get out of the starting blocks. You're running. And as you're running, you have a gift. You have a, you have a past. You've walked through pain and suffering. That pain and suffering was never meant to just stay with you. You're supposed to run with it so that it encourages others. You've got talents. You've got abilities. What good would it do to be so concerned about your brother and sister in Christ that, wow, I wish I was, I wish I was like Levi and I could play guitar. I wish I was like Pastor Tim. I don't need to do that. You don't need to be me. I don't need to be you. We're the body of Christ. We're meant to build each other up. But that doesn't happen when we're envious of what others have. And it certainly doesn't happen when we're looking at the world's lane next to us, looking at all their things and all their glamour and all their stuff and what they have. When Christ has called us to live a whole different life, why would we ever want to run in someone else's lane when God has assigned this lane to us. So, stop looking at someone else's lane. Because every time you look at someone else's lane, here's what you're doing. You're begrudging God's generosity. Either towards them, they don't deserve it, God, or towards yourself, not recognizing the goodness and generosity that God has given you. So if you don't want envy to ruin your life, here's, here's the three things. Just for a recap, okay? I want you to consider 
envy? Could it be that it's robbing you of joy and peace in your life? And if it is, here's what you do. You learn to cultivate contentment. Be content with what you have, and out of that contentment, let that be joy for you. That you don't have to adopt or receive someone else's problems. Because if you want their blessings, everything comes with it. you got to receive their problems as well. Um, on Friday, Aaron and I went on a little date day, went to the YMCA, and then uh, after the YMCA, we got coffee and went to Barnes & Noble. So one of my favorite things to do is just go into Barnes & Noble and read. And I love the journal section. Any, any journal lovers? I love the journals. I just like feeling them. And one of the, one of the journals caught my eye. You ever heard of the, the term um, FOMO? Right, FOMO, which is, help me out, fear of, fear of missing out. You've heard of that before? Well, the journal didn't say FOMO. You know what it said? It said JOMO. I had never heard of the term JOMO, but I assumed it had something to do with FOMO. And so I looked in the journal, and JOMO literally means the joy of missing out. It's this lifestyle where you purposely cut yourself off from what the world sees as valuable and adopt a simpler form of life so that you can find contentment. Now, I don't think it was a Christian journal, but I love the idea. I think Paul speaks to it over and over in Scripture again. The way you find contentment is by receiving the joy that Christ has already given you. So you can start saying that now. Jomo, what would you learn at church? Jomo, right? Here's another one. Maybe it's creating conflict with others. Again, show kindness. Show kindness to them. Learn to celebrate even when they succeed. Or is it keeping you from running the race that God has assigned to you? And again, know your lane. Stay in it. Stay in it. Stay in it. The body of Christ depends on it. Bottom line, church, do not begrudge God's generosity towards you. Because every time you do, you step into envy and you fall down. You start resenting God's goodness in other people while ignoring being blinded by God's goodness in your own life. If you could walk away with one big idea from today's message, it it would be this. If you are a Christian, consider what Jesus has done for you already. And if he never did another thing in your life, not one more thing, you'd still owe him the rest of your life and much more. Amen? I want to invite our worship teams to come forward as we uh, close in prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for your mercy. We don't deserve it. Thank you for your steadfast love. We can't earn that either, Lord. God, you've been so faithful to us throughout our life, some of us longer than others. We have such a track record in being able to look back on your mercy And so I think today's message is just a call for contentment, a call for, in view of your mercy, to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. And what good would it do, Lord, to allow us to be so consumed with the things of this world or the things that other people have? God, we don't want that. We want what you have for us. We want to be able to have a content, peaceful heart that pursues you and you alone. Part of that, Lord, is dying to our, ourself as the fruit of the Spirit. The only way we receive it is by living in it and staying in step with you and 
The only way we get rid of the sin of envy and the list of the works of the flesh is that we crucify ourselves to that each and every day. And so help us do that. Help us be people who are focused purely on you, never keeping our eyes off you, but being quick to take our eyes off what this world has to offer. And it's in Jesus' name I ask this. Amen.